This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza. Wrapping up a, well, wasn't a busy week, and that wasn't uneventful either. It's West Virginia's never uneventful here to help me figure it all out. Chris Anderson. Chris, um, second half of the Big 12. Signing day. NCAA narcs. Texas and Oklahoma. It's quite a grab bag here. We could have sat this one out. Didn't feel right. In all directions, there's something going on right now. Yeah, there's there seems to be a handful of things we can give some hot takes on. So I don't see why we wouldn't take the opportunity to uh, hop in there and give some amazing opinions on all this stuff. Let's go basketball first. West Virginia still playing 13 and nine overall, two and seven. Chris is the exact same record as last year. At this point, were you aware of that? Uh, no, I was too busy scrubbing that podcast from last month where we said how this was going to be different than last year. Man, so. how about that? Again, I have no recollection of that happening. I think I made some good points that day, though, that it was not going to be the same. But here they are. Um, and what strikes me as I was doing some research about this, because it, I, I did find out, yeah, 13 and 9, 2 and 7 last year. And they played Texas Tech, and Bob Huggins changed the lineups. Put Kobe Johnson in. Tad Sherman was back. Polly Polycap started. Kind of shook things up a little bit. They beat Texas Tech. They snapped a losing streak. Three and seven. Mild talk at that point about maybe getting things right and getting to the NCAA tournament. Not a whole lot, but some. Walk, run, one of those things. Maybe crawl before you walk, walk before you run. However, Chris, because... Passes prologue a little bit. Bob Huggins changes the lineup. Things work. They get a win. Lost Saturday. Excuse me. Lost on Tuesday to TCU. Tomorrow, Oklahoma, man. It's a must win or a can't lose or a both, I guess. I could talk about the damage that might do. But I want to ask you a question here from um, the Hey Mike post. From M Barnett 16 Hey, Mike, I'm seeing a lot of discussions about rotations lately and was curious. If you could update the rotations, who would be your starting five? Your first guy, guys, off the bench, and your ending five. What lineups would you like to see more of? Obviously, this is matchup dependent, but I was curious. Lineups and rotations have been an obsession of ours and fans throughout the entire season because things have been kind of wonky at times. Starting five, final five, and then different lineups. Kind of peck at that a little bit here. 
want to go to the ending five, that's okay. You've made that point before. That's probably more important than starting five. I have no idea who West Virginia's ending five would be because it has been so scattered all season. The closers, if you will, you could look at metrics for who's been the best clutch players, crunch time players, so to speak. What has it gotten West Virginia except a lot of losses late in games? So maybe their best clutch players aren't their best clutch players. So you kind of have to disregard that. And I understand this matchup depends a little bit based on their team, but all things equal, Chris. Um, I guess who would you want to have on the floor right now based on the performances we've seen for the rest of the season at the end of games, number one? And number two, how hard is it to come up with that configuration? It's nearly impossible. Like, I, and, and I mean that seriously because of everything you just talked about. But I, I like the word wonky. Um, I thought you were going to lead me down a path of of asking me what my starting five is, and maybe my starting five answer leads to my closing five answer because it, this is going to shock some people, probably make them mad uh, based off what's being posted on the message board. I would not change the starting five, and here's why. So many of those guys, maybe all five of them, are so streaky. Like, like the ceiling for all five of them is so good. Like we, when, when Jimmy Bell is at his best, he is unstoppable. When Eric Stevenson is making shots, it's it's unbelievable. When Keedy Johnson is playing defense, staying out of foul trouble, and is able to get to the basket, it's over. When I mean, you guys know my Spanish Emmett Matthews thing. Uh, Trey Mitchell again, maybe the guy with the most NBA potential on this team. All five of them have had their moments this year. But they've been kind of few and far between. And I would go with like my starting five and literally just be like, all right, are you in this game or not? Because and Huggins felt that out last game where he went in a few minutes and was like, wow, these guys are not in and, and changed things up. And the same went with Texas Tech. And I think we've seen that with some of these guys. And, and you have to make decisions because sometimes – Guys are engaged, I think is the right word. And, and if they're engaged, they're going to be part of my closing five too. But I want to use that starting few minutes to kind of see where everybody's at. I mean, I don't I don't want to sit here and pick on him and Matthews, but the last game was, it, yeah, I think it was TCU where I had this stat where it took until the 14-21 mark of the second half for him to record a statistic. A positive, like as in a point, a rebound, an assist, a block, or a steal. Until 1420 the second half, that was his 18th minute on the court before he did anything that contributed to the team, at least statistically. Like, that can't happen. Like, it's almost it's almost impossible to not have a single statistic of that, of, of one of those categories in almost a half of basketball. Like, at some point, a, a rebound is going to bounce your way. At some point, Somebody's going to make a shot when you pass it to them. At some point, you know, you're going to get fouled and make a free throw or something. But then you look at the next like four minutes and he gets eight points, two assists, a rebound, and a block. I think like it was just like, oh, there he is. He's awake. And that's kind of how I feel about a lot of these guys on that, on that starting five is when they're on, they're on. And I, but I can't guarantee any of them would be in my closing five because of that. On Matthews, he was his only his only statistic at that point was 0 for 1 from the floor. 
which is not a positive stat like you're talking about. What you're saying is things that he actually did. Missing a shot doesn't count, but he wasn't even like 0 for 3. He didn't miss a free throw or miss two free throws. He didn't even have a turnover. Just nothing. Just a, a, an abyss for some reason. All of a sudden, he turns it on. I am with you. I don't know who would deserve to start over their five starters, but beyond that, two things strike me. One, if you play those five guys, you'll know pretty soon, I think, not if they have it collectively, but individually, who's on and who's not that day. And for proof, look at their past two row games. Did a hockey line change at Texas Tech, and then for some reason didn't against TCU. Uh, they were in that game for for much of that first half. But that's two row games. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just the row, but the starting five just didn't have it. But at, at different points in that game, I know the bench was the, like had the heroic day against Texas Tech, but it was a 15-point game at the end, and the starters had a lot of work to win that one over. And then TCU... Bench didn't do a whole lot there. They got the starters together. My point being there that keep your starting five together because those are your five probably best players as far as like an overall quality. And figure out right away who's got it and who doesn't and where you have to fill things in. And number one, number two, can you imagine having a break in Kedrian Johnson or Emmett Matthews or Jimmy Bell off the bench right now? Like what's that I, learning curve like? I don't think they can not. I don't think you can afford that right now. Whereas a guy like Toussaint, Seth Wilson, uh, James O'Conquo, they're pretty accustomed to the bench and again conversely imagine putting them in the starting lineup right now you seem like you're having two negatives there which don't necessarily make a positive if you start subbing starters for subs no no that would work that's very risky and then again like how do you get to the the finishing five you got to be aware of the entire game and we've seen them really kind of gear toward that because they've had some odd configurations at the end of games like sitting Matthews and Mitchell at the end of a game that's pretty significant and and they haven't been afraid of doing stuff like that. So I do think they have their thumb on that, and it's it's very hard to predict. The one thing that, that makes me curious is lineups. And I would, I'd be curious. I'm not saying I'm endorsing this, whatever, because I, I think they are pretty much a one, two, three, four, five team at their best. But they've messed around with two-point guards. They've played three guards. They've done the small lineup. They've done the two bigs. But it's been so sporadic that I'm not really sure there's a plan every game or if it's an opponent thing. And sometimes I don't even think it's an opponent because what we think may work or would look good or have a chance doesn't even get on the floor. As far as a wrinkle, Chris, is there some, maybe not personnel, but some number combination, two guards, three forwards, uh, three guards, two centers. Is there something like that out there that, that would get your attention? Because I, I think there's something to Bello Conquo, much as I think that there's something to, for example, Toussaint, Stevenson, Wilson in the backcourt. There's some offense and some and some defense there. There are some concerns too, don't get me wrong. But in addition to that, is it too late to be trying things like that? Or is it late enough that desperate times, desperate measures? I have I, I need to see these numbers. I can't, I don't think I've seen them anywhere, but have Wilson and Stevenson played a single minute together? Like, are they, or are they literally like, you know, one in, one out kind of thing? Let me answer your question with a question. Uh huh. Shouldn't they have? I think they should have. I mean, yeah. if, if the biggest problem you have is, is shot creators or shot makers, that may be the route you want to go. And I get that Stevenson has been up and down. Like, I mean, through in non conference play, he was shooting like 45% from three and then fell off a cliff and then made seven against Auburn, and then had a bad game against TCU. I get that. Shooters are streaky. I mean, you, you wish he was a little more consistent, of course. Wilson, kind of similar way. But if you give 
like Wilson, Stevenson, and you have Trey Mitchell out there, those are three guys who can pretty consistently, at least, you know, at some point you're going to get two out of the three, making shots from deep. You can spread the floor on guys. I, I like that kind of combination um, because the other one, and one I know we've seen, and I'm intrigued by it, but I don't totally love it, is the Keedy and Toussaint backcourt combo. Like defensively, sounds great. Two ball handlers, two great ball handlers, sounds great. But I'm not sure either one of them is like a top end, top end uh, three point shooter. I know they've they've made them when they're open, and they can kind of force their way there. But they're both shooting around thirty percent from beyond the arc. Like that's it's not excellent. It's not what you. That's not the guys you want shooting all the time. Um, for instance, for example, even with Stevenson's like horrendous Big Twelve shooting out. Like I mean, Auburn's not in the Big Twelve, so outside of the Big Twelve shooting, with all of that, still shooting thirty-seven percent. Mitchell, even with him kind of being um, missing some lately, thirty-eight percent, and Wilson, again, streaky shooter, forty-two percent. So I'd rather get those three on the court, try to get some offense going, than than try out some other things with with more ball handlers, more one-on-one guys, which has been that's when West Virginia's offense is kind of stalled. Is when guys get one-on-one, and so this Keedy and Tucson combo. It intrigues the heck out of me, but I think it might do more harm than good. I think with Stevenson, we have to recognize he's played good basketball in a recent stretch. And and what does that mean if he's not a, if he's a shooter and he's not making shots? Well, that's not good basketball. That's true, but he's been part of some good lineups. He's passed well. He's rebounded. His defense is is going to be neither great nor embarrassing. But that's not his his purpose to be out there either. So. Uh, he's a little bit like Sean McNeil, who once said, I didn't come here to, they didn't bring me here to play defense, which was true, but probably not the thing you want to say. But he's he's got a he's got a spot, but the trouble is you put him and Wilson together. You know, that's that's an iffy backcourt, too. That's not the fastest, biggest backcourt there, and then you're going to see some athletic ones, too. too. Too bold to say they cannot lose tomorrow night at home against Oklahoma and make the tournament? Not too bold. I mean, I think you lose to Oklahoma, then what you are asking this team to do after that in order to get in the tournament is likely unrealistic. Okay. Let's go to barttorvik.com. B-A-R-T-T-O-R-V-I-K.com. You can mess around with a whole bunch of their stuff they have there. Right now, that website has West Virginia as a number seven seed, 96.3% chance to make the NCAA tournament. Has them going 18 and 13 overall, 7 and 11 in the conference, counting wins. Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. Those are all home games, right? Yes, it is. Five, so five and four down the stretch. Again, that's that'd be tough. But if you went five and four, like how much? I don't know how much emphasis they put on you know the final ten, like they used to. How you finish the season, but still finishing five and four uh, in the Big Twelve Conference, like that's. That that's something because I'm looking at it right now. You got six games against teams ranked inside the top 13 nationally rem- remaining. Oh yeah. So if you can get five and four in these final nine games, you're in. Period. Okay. Oklahoma. Um, on Bart Torvik's first teams out ranking, twentieth. <laughs> um, not great. If West Virginia were to lose this game. They dropped from a six to a nine seed. 
if West Virginia wins, excuse me, from a seven to a nine seed, if West Virginia wins, rise from a seven to a six with a 97.7% chance of making the tournament. If Oklahoma does what it oftentimes does and beats West Virginia in basketball. Are you aware of the recent run for Oklahoma, by the way, against West Virginia? I am not. Seven Nero, Chris. I, I, seven by the way, against West Virginia. I, I, I am aware of it. I, I wanted to let you take it. Okay. So West Virginia loses an eighth in a row. They drop from a seven seed to a nine seed, the last nine seed, and their likelihood of making it goes to 80%. And then more like, because of that, subsequently, their likelihood of winning the next few games is much lower. It still has them winning the home games. Um, actually, hasn't losing Iowa State after that. Uh, again, if you can't beat Oklahoma at home, you might not beat uh, Kansas State at home. So, does Bart Torvik decide who gets in the tournament? No, but it's a simulation you can look at based on numbers and saying how valuable one game at the beginning of February is against a team that has just had West Virginia's number lately. Um, can't lose it. Can't do without this win. And it feels wild to say that, that the first game of the second half of the schedule is a game you absolutely have to have. How do they go about, you know, skinning this cat, slicing this bread? I don't know, but like they they played okay last time. But Chris, they played without that center last time. That was the game they played the final 10 minutes of the second half without a center. They had Trey Mitchell as the de facto five. They made something like 10 and a 13 shots and outscored Oklahoma 27 to 23, I believe, down the, down the stretch. Not a great plus minus, but it kept him in the game and almost won it for him. And here we are again. We haven't seen that since. I wonder if we see that tomorrow. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I think you'll see that. I think you'll see some James Aconquo, uh looks. Again, if, if he's a guy that you think is a a slighter um, big you know, like a smaller five man, which Huggins has kind of indicated, obviously putting him out there with, with like, as like a four next to Wagi or something, then maybe you see a Conquo get some more time or you flip it and go the exact opposite way and try to, to use Jimmy Bell like as a complete mismatch. I don't know, but yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing the, the, the lighter look, um, the smaller look and, and trying it out. I mean, if you need offense, that might be the way to go. I know, Huggins loves to get the ball inside, pound it inside, get on the post, all that stuff. But 
sometimes you got to do something you don't like to do just to get it done. Switch to football, if that's all right with you, Chris. Yep. Signing day comes, goes, one signature through the fax machine. Maybe a month ago, two months ago, it's a bit of a surprise and that the name is one that West Virginia was going to keep an eye on for sure for, for different reasons. But, hey, uh, big legacy defensive lineman. Can't have enough. Uh, Neil Brown, this is interesting to me. Neil Brown said if you weren't in the December signing class and you were committed, you probably weren't going to be in the Dece- in the February one. Then he said in the, in the next breath, they'll never be in a position to turn down defensive linemen. Here comes Corey McIntyre Jr., who was committed, didn't sign in December, signs in February. But it's not like one of those things where he was waffling and, and hmm, let me take my visits. There's a there's a story there, but also here's here's a big body that has some potential, certainly has some um has some genes that help. And here he is in the recruiting class. Yeah, there were two guys who were verbally committed at the December signing period who did not sign, and they had two drastically different stories. Uh, we'll start with with Corey McIntyre, who, again, did sign in February. And he told me a few days before uh, the December signing period, again, I reach out to all the recruits, but, hey, what time are you signing? I'm making a list, all that stuff. And he says, you know, hey, Coach Jackson asked me to wait. Um, and, and I was like, oh, are you taking visits, doing other things? No, no, no. Just, uh, you know, need to get some more progress on his core GPA. Uh, and again, the this is different than your regular GPA. This is different than the sliding scale with your SA, uh, ACT, SAT, with your GPA, because the core GPA is a very specific handful of classes that you're required to take to be eligible in college. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to get rid of some of those more superfluous high school classes where you're getting an A in like woodworking. Um, and, and you're getting an F in math, like that's bad. Like it, it's focused more on the math and the science and the and the English than than it is woodworking and all that other stuff. So it was, I believe it's 2.3 you have to have. And it seems that McIntyre is around that area. Um, they asked him to sign in February. So they must think there's at least a possibility that he is going to be fine. It's just going to be one of those situations where you're going to have to watch it all the way up until the moment he gets on campus. Because whether he got above it or is still below that line, I, I don't know. And I don't think it matters right now because either way, you're going to be, I guess, sweating out this last semester just to make sure he gets on campus. And and, and if he does, great. Because, again, like noted, NFL bloodlines, WVU bloodlines, uh, a very good player, productive player uh, that has played against some top-notch competition down there in Florida. You know, Treasure Coast plays a an extremely tough schedule like even by florida standards and, and mcintyre kind of held his own and and i think he's a, he's a good addition to this class and somebody that that you could see make a difference in a couple years what's left does it, does it depend on who leaves the, the, the portal is it still as easy as receiver cornerback ol slash dl i know it's space dependent but they're gonna have more than they have right now you've covered that in depth before um they can still do a little bit of shopping. They can't buy anything right now, so to speak. Um, probably more accurate than I lent that. But portal opens up again May 1st. I would imagine spring football ends everywhere. People are going to be rushing in based on what they were not able to do as far as depth chart, playing time, new coaches, old coaches at their current place. They want to go somewhere else. West Virginia, open arms, I guess, but hasn't been as easy as just saying, hey, we're open for business. Come and play for us. They're going to have to prove some things. But not a whole lot's changed there either, right? No, not a whole lot. Again, nobody else has been able to enter the portal uh, since January 18th. 
So you're still looking at the same pool of players, uh, actually even smaller because a lot of guys committed and signed and, you know, will enroll at their new school come May. But there are still a few options there for West Virginia and West Virginia. Yeah, it's it's cornerback, like absolutely no doubt. Uh, wide receiver, they're still looking at. Offensive line, that seems to be a thing. Again, we, we've talked about it before. It, it, to me, I feel like this offensive line room is as good as it's been since Neil Brown arrived in Morgantown. They got all five starters slated to come back next season. But they're still out, out there offering and actively recruiting guys who are, you, you know, were starters and only have one year of eligibility left. So they are on dudes to come in and start right away. Now, where that is, I don't know, because a couple of the offers have been centers, and I don't think they're going to start over Zach Frazier. So I'm interested to see, you know, if the, maybe they're trying to slide one of those guys out to guard. Maybe that's like, hey, we're, you're not sure if uh, – rematch is ready yet at left guard who knows we'll have to see but they're they're going hard after legitimate game ready high level offensive linemen right now sort of have to no matter what you can't have enough of them and and let the world on fire on the offensive line either let's not forget that they've had some issues before too another year would be great sure but you wouldn't want to let it find that a little bit too um more to the future here for west virginia big 12 football Finally, finally have some clarity, I guess, on Oklahoma, Texas. We knew they were going to be part of the league, at least for the upcoming football and basketball seasons, uh, the whole next upcoming athletic year, because the schedules were coming out and they were on them. I don't, I'm not sure that was the delay necessarily for the Big 12 schedule. There's TV deadlines and things like that, like Fox and ESPN want to know soon. But now the Big 12 meetings are happening in Dallas, I believe, somewhere in the Metroplex. And news out this morning, last night, that Texas and Oklahoma will stay throughout the contract, which means two more years, Chris. They want to leave. I wonder what do you think the offers are like? Is it like, hey, we'd like to leave. Here's $5. Take it or leave it. Or we can just like, you know, not give you anything and we'll just walk out of here in two years. And does the Big 12 have any responsibility to try to make some money off of this, at least at or beyond the level of what a productive second season, final season of Oklahoma and Texas gives you. So like if you can quantify that, I don't know what it is, but let's say that football, basketball, and the other sports for Oklahoma are worth $100. I don't know the accurate number, so I'm not going to say it, but we'll just throw a stupid number out there, $100. Don't you have to try to get $100 out of this rather than zero? And at that point, wouldn't $75 be better than zero? Wouldn't 50 be better than zero? I just... It just seems weird to me to be in a financial concerning uh, in a financially concerning situation like the Big Twelve is when you're trying to look at other leagues. Hmm, how much are we getting annually? How much does that mean to our current and maybe prospective members? But also, we need to fill the coffers. Let's try to get as much cash as we can out of this while we can. They're leaving anyways. Who cares if it's one year early? Sooner the better for us. We'll make some cash on it. So let me ask you one quick question mm-hmm. before I answer. If Texas and Oklahoma say they leave right now, and obviously they're not, but they're leaving right now. They're not even going to do 2023. Does the money that the Big 12 makes from their TV deals go down right away? I don't I don't think they can do that, especially because the quantity of the teams is up too. So I'm not sure that that's actually 
permissible. And, and there's if they leave early, they have to pay. They basically they leave their money behind. Now there's a negotiation there where they say, well, we'll just stay and we'll take everything and you make nothing. And she tried to find a number somewhere there, but I, I get your point. Like, would it be worth less than what's the negotiation figure there? Hmm. It's a good point. I don't have an answer there, but I just I don't think they can actually lower that. I don't think they can. I'm not yeah, positive though. Because because my thought is. You know, if Texas, Oklahoma are like, we'll pay you a hundred bucks combined to leave, but then ESPN's like, hey, if they're gone, we're going to pay you one hundred and fifty dollars less. Then the Big Twelve is not going to do it. And so I think you you know whatever that number is, if it could affect the contract, if it could affect TV revenue um, from ESPN and and Fox over these last two years, then yeah, it's it it is in the Big Twelve's best interest to try to get in payment up front, whatever that amount is, plus one. You know, if ESPN says we're going to pay you $50 less each year for these next two years, so $100 less total, if you're the Big 12, you're like, all right, Texas, Oklahoma, $101, $102. So maybe even just $100 because it's, you know, present value of money and all that stuff, get it up front, lump sum, which, again, I don't even know if you'll get that. They always work something out, but yeah, I think it depends on whether or not the TV partners can lower the revenue for these past couple of years because you have to get back at least what you might lose from the TV deal. And if you're not losing anything for the TV deal, then yeah, I'd take whatever Texas and Oakland. Like if you can still get, you know, whatever, again, let's make a stupid number, $20 billion from ESPN and Fox over the next two years, even without Texas and Oklahoma, you take whatever money you can get from Texas and Oklahoma. So... But then again, if I'm Texas and Oklahoma, what's my incentive? I mean, I know you're going to make a more in the SEC, but if you stay in the Big 12 and you're still getting $40 million, $50 million, and the SEC is going to pay you 60, why, you know, you're not getting out of the Big 12 deal for 10. So why leave? Just wait it out. Yeah, more power too. It's gonna be very awkward. I wonder. I mean, you know how like these college basketball officials love to officiate numerous games. Could you turn Keith Kimball, Doug Sermons, and Chance Moore? You might know them as the three blind mice. Could you turn them into football officials and just put them on the Texas and Oklahoma crew every week? You you could. I, I like that you're bringing this up since that's been the hot topic around the message board for the past week with them posting. Uh, Higgins's um schedule. Yeah. In, incredible. Incredible. His Marriott points and, and Hertz Club Gold and all that stuff has to be through the roof. He's probably got one of those like 10 pound Marriott cards that you oh. only hear about. Finally. Actually, are we done with that? Like, do you have more takes on this? Because I, I feel like this is a big deal that's not getting a whole lot of attention. Like, but I also don't know what the I mean, that's that's a heck of a barge in a in a narrow narrow uh, body of water. I don't know how you turn this around and get them out of the conference at this point, but like, man, they're, they're darn it. They do. And they're darn it. They don't, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, it could shift a bunch of stuff. It could shift up all sorts of movement a couple years early all, but again, what's going to like, I don't think either side is incentivized to cave um, to the other. Cause the big 12s going to want money and, Oklahoma and Texas are going to look at it and go, well, why would we pay? Why would we pay a hundred million to leave mm-hmm. when we're only going to get back, you know, 60 million 
or what like what's the point of that and then the big 12 is going to say why would we you know if you can lose money out the big 12 deal why would we accept any payment if we're going to lose even more from the from espn and fox so i think it's just this a matter of both sides looking at each other going saying a good deal for me and it just kind of that was it i also think that christel conti and joe castiglione are two of the elite athletic directors in the country. I know it's easy at places like Texas and Oklahoma, but Del Conte was before Texas and, and Oklahoma. He's just a good AD. I would not be surprised if this was a little bit of gamesmanship and leverage and it gets out and all of a sudden there's some some hue and cry from people smarter and more important than, than me. I don't know about you, Chris, but definitely me. And then all of a sudden some presidents and ADs in the Big 12 are like, hey, fix this. We don't want them around another year. That could be a play here too. I got one more thing for you mm-hmm. from this deal. You see the Big 12 schedule releases and everybody put out their own little thing with a video and some graphics Mm -hmm. and all this stuff about their schedule. There were two teams who did not, who simply just retweeted the Big 12's announcement that the schedules were out. Really? Yep. Oklahoma and Texas. You think that's just Hmm. literally that petty? Like, we just don't even care about this league anymore. We're not even going to spend like our resources to have a graphic designer make a video. I guess the the value of a schedule announcement tweet differs in a lot of corners of college football. Have you seen Houston's? Yeah, I did. Love it. Yep. Love it. I always think those are fun that, yeah. that, that, that a lot of people do. It's good. Yeah. Just can't get punched in the face and not counter, but that's another conversation. Finally, finally, one of my favorite and also least favorite stories here, Chris, the NCAA finally has its hands on the NIL legislation and enforcement. Are you ready? Go. Guilty until proven innocent. Never in history has this been a good idea. In history of, of the world has this been a good idea. And the NCAA is about to put it in the college sports, which is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard, but also seemingly inevitable. Last summer, they were coming up with these ideas about, all right, we need to get more into NIL. We need to police it better. This is not the intent, even though we had every opportunity to apply intent and we didn't. And it seemed to me they were calling schools forward and saying, we will help you, but we need you to cooperate. We need you to turn people in and wrote about this. I had some feedback from people in compliance and they were like, eh, kind of right, but it'll never happen because what's the incentives for schools to tell on others? Because inevitably it's going to be hard for a school to be committed or excuse me, by to be what's the word found guilty. I guess I know what acquitted means. It's going to be hard for a school to be found guilty by the NCAA just because the NCAA stinks at this stuff. Now the NCAA, it appears when it comes to NIL and the intent is going to just take reports from other schools and then compel the accused to prove evidence, to provide evidence that it's not true. And there's been some reporting out there this week online, and and you can Google it and find it. It's incredible, Chris. This seems like a terrible idea that's actually fast-tracked. Sorry, I was so excited to respond to this. I hit the mute button twice. Unmuted and muted myself back. Mike, can we set up a draft? God, I wish we had more time to, to figure out which coach is the narc. Which which coaches wore wires to the to the AFCA coaches convention <laughs> to try to to try to get people to admit, uh, you know, on tape what they've been doing and who they've been paying. Like, who do you, do you have a pick for who's the, who's the the biggest narc in the Big Twelve? 
I, I will from the Big 12. Ooh, um, I don't know. I have a few when it comes to the NCAA at large or college football at large. Big 12. You know, Randy Edsel's not coaching anymore, right? Or is he? In his mind, he is. He's doing the Mike McCarthy thing where he's holed up in a bunker somewhere with his like faux staff trying to get everything ready for his next swing at the pinata. Okay. Um, I will listen. Here's here's just a, an anecdotal thing for you here. West Virginia was ticked off about Akeem Mesador, maybe even Daryl Porter last year, and just didn't know what to do about it. If this happened this year, all they have to do is call the NCAA and say, hey, we think that they tampered, and we've had some conversations with people. We probably have a few pieces of correspondence that we can lead you toward. And then the NCAA could use that to accuse you, like the Hurricanes of something here untoward and say, hey, West Virginia believes that you meddled in Akeem Mesador and maybe Daryl Porter. Um, and we're very concerned about this. Do you, are you aware of the level two violations, perhaps level one violations? You need to prove West Virginia wrong. You need to acquit yourself. And then, Chris, how does that go? Like, hey, can you show me the text messages from assistant coach A to Akeem Mesador? Absolutely not. I'm not doing that. Oh, and then you go to the player and his handlers and say, hey, we understand that maybe there's there's some accusations that this player you know, was given some money from a booster. Um, can you provide that? And then the, the high school coach or the, the prep school coach can be like, pound sand. I'm not helping you. And then you're like, oh, all right, well, how about the boosters? Let's go to the boosters. And the boosters are going to laugh. I don't know where this goes, except that like you're probably going to have. And this, and this is here's my thing is that the NCAA is like showing teeth, but they're false teeth now. And it just gives you another level of bluff calling for the schools, which seems inevitable to me, because I can't imagine that you're going to get hit with a violation and then sanctions and that the school is going to be like, it wasn't proven. We live in a democracy. I'll see you in court. And then you get injunctions and restraining orders. And all of a sudden you're off the hook for the infractions. And the NCAA is just back spinning to where it was before, which is doing a whole lot of nothing. I don't know if there's a sound and fury that signifies nothing or sound and fury that signifies a, a really concerning chapter when it comes to like not just NIL, but enforcement in general. This is incredible. I don't I can't believe this is happening. Like it's it's a it's a place that has no ideas. And that's said, you know, what we should do. Let's get a bad idea and run with it. All right. I think we can rule you out. You're not the narc. No, we'll but like, you out. like how petty I mean, a petty coach who loses a recruiting battle can just be like, hey. My rival cheated. And then she doubles yep. me like, I think you're right. <laughs> like that seems I mean it's probably not gonna be that simple. I'm sure there'll be a little bit more jurisprudence there, but like you, you can see how these things are gonna go. And like, listen, Lane Kiffin's been very open about this. So I'm not I'm not talking out of turn here, but they got beat out by Texas AM, he said, for a number of recruits. If that stuff happens as often as it does, like I think schools that lose out are gonna be able to find receipts and provide receipts now. And is that going to be good enough? Even if it's real, is that going to be good enough? I don't know. And I wonder if it makes it easier for schools to cooperate. Like, hey, we, you, you don't have to go, like, you don't have to testify. You can just accuse. You can point the finger. Like, it's the old, like, now you're the you're the person behind the dark glass. And you just have to point out the person in the lineup now. You don't have to ever go in front of a jury and testify or anything. You know, you don't have to worry about your safety or whatever. I, I really wonder where this is going to go. It seems crazy. It seems inevitable what the NCAA is going to do something and probably not the most intelligent thing. And here we are. And it's again, I, I cannot believe this. I think I sent this to you and I was like, I was chuckling, but also like really concerned when I sent it to you. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe this is happening. Can you not though? I mean, it's the NCAA. Like, 
anything's possible. Anything. Wait, who's in this whole scenario? Which coach is Tony Soprano? Who's going to start snuffing out the rats here? Hmm. Well, Saban will be the pick, right? That's what I was thinking. He's or is he one of the old school guys? I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen some Sopranos episodes, and I wasn't always the guy who watched every single one. But one of the older uh, mafiosos. Maybe he's Maybe like an Omerta guy. You know, yeah, yeah. Dallas Silence. James Franklin strikes me as a guy that probably would speak his mind. There's a lot, man. There, I don't. I don't want to say anything negative about people I don't really know very well. But like, I'm just thinking about like perceptions and, and was that reality? I'm not sure. But I've heard things about different coaches that I could probably come up with a few. Would it be great if like, like what? What if Kirk Ferentz is just the guy wearing the wire? He's the Joe Valachi. <laughs> <laughs> he's just the guy who's like. That's why he's around. Like, that's like I still have a job. He's got all the great intel. <laughs> he's the one who goes in the meetings, wears the wire, and he he has a great. He's a great resource for the the uh, NCAA. Stay tuned to this one. I don't. I don't know what the reactions will be. It's it's developing. It's coming out. I'm assuming it'll be formalized sometime soon. But again, you're right, Chris. Inevitable. And is it surprising? Probably not. Is it sad? We'll see. On deck. Bob Huggins. Some players previewing the can't lose game against Oklahoma. Chris, about a minute to go here. What's up your sleeve? Uh, more recruiting stuff. I mean, I dead periods coming. But for those who are big on recruiting, I literally have about two dozen interviews done. And stories that just need to be written and put up. So there's a lot of recruiting stuff coming. Um, yeah, Saturday night, Oklahoma. Move on to a new week. You got a lot of stories. That means I get time off, right? Yeah. Aren't you about to take vacation? I am. Yeah. I will have the wheel this weekend. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Good catch, Chris. <laughs> Until then. See you then. Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.